We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and much, much more. You want to talk Google? You want to talk Howard Stern? You want to talk XM Satellite Radio Sears? We can do any of it. Anything and everything is on the table. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Quick look. Uh... There's been a, cl- a collapse in the euro uh, since the start of the year. It's, again, lower compared to the dollar. Great time to go to Europe. Book your travel vacations now. Uh, we're looking at the S&P 500. It's up today, the Dow, the NASDAQ. Um, we're kind of dealing with a market that has a tie, uh, very much so towards reaction. This year is playing out a lot like last year did as far as the first three months of the year go. And ultimately, we had a pretty good year, but a 10-year Treasury sits at 2.1%. Gold sits at 11.59 an ounce. Uh, again, pretty much to hold it up, what's been going. The euro versus the dollar, it's at 106. I think at one point in time this year, it was as high as 138, 139. Oil's slightly higher, around $48 a barrel. Stock market had a very, very bad day on Tuesday. The S&P uh, declined, or as someone put it, plummeted. Uh, when you're down 1.7%, that's a pretty big drop. Now, the only thing that really plummeted uh, yesterday was the euro. So it's a currency market play. And uh, very quickly, you're going to see corporations have to uh, deal with weaker currency exchanges. Um, what else do we have there? It'll be interesting to see. If we get a sustained rebound effort as part of the ebb and flow of the market, which not that long ago was dominated by the ebb and flow of the oil prices, now it's starting to give away to the ebb and flow of the dollar versus the euro. Persistent strength in the dollar has peaked concerns about earnings prospects for U.S. multinationals. Companies like Apple who do business in dollars, and they've got business in foreign markets, uh, that strong dollar is going to mean to hurt them. Uh, China reported weaker than expected fixed asset investment, industrial production, and retail sales data for the month of February. 
the added point there is that these releases didn't just come up short of economists' expectations. They showed a deceleration from January. The latest weekly report on mortgage applications from the Mortgage Bankers Association showed a decline of 1.3% in the application index. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton can be found at newfocusfinancial.com. I got an email recently, Chad. Uh, 51-year-old guy, no children, $40,000 in his 401k, $80,000 in an IRA account, so $120,000 at age 50, um, an emergency count of $20,000, and he wants to know, does he need a CFP? 51 with $120,000. Um, I think that maybe a, a career advisor might be a little bit better, because you're in a situation where, I get those emails a lot too, Rob, and they're like, okay, what, what fund should I go in? They give me the... The, the safest growth-adjusted return or risk-adjusted return for the long run. That's not your situation. Your situation is is you're going to be working until you're 75 years old. So make sure you're in a career that your body can handle until right. you're 75 years old. And that might mean, you know, instead of taking the next $20,000 to invest, maybe get some retraining and get some get a career move. I know. it. I get emails like that, and I, it's almost insulting to send back an email saying, you don't have enough to retire. You're probably not going to ever retire with the lifestyle that you see and the lifestyle that's rich and famous. Get a better career. He's 51, Chad. Yeah. He's been working for 30 years, and now we're telling him to get a job. It's that type of plan B situation where, okay, either it's reverse mortgage time, either it's move out of the state. It could be out of the country. A lot of people are moving out of the country to get cheaper cost of living. I wouldn't mind moving to Thailand and have a little Thai, Thai woman walk on my back every day. There you go, yeah. little Thai massage action. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk some rules of thumb in retirement. What do we need to know? Um, I think one of the the worst rules of thumb that I see out there is you're going to spend less in retirement. That's true in your 70s and 80s. So a lot of people have a rule of thumb that they think they're going to spend less. Yeah, the the old one was you're only going to need 70% of what you had when you were working in retirement. And the first couple of years I see people spend more. Because of the vacations, the purchasing of the motorhomes, the second homes, uh, going to see the grandkids, that, that type of thing. You're, you're, you're doing the honey-do list on the fix-up of the home, um, or you're doing the, the, the travel bucket list. You know, So you, you might spend a little bit more in retirement. Um, the other one is that tux, taxes will be cut in half in retirement. I'm not seeing that because more and more people are retiring with the bulk of their savings in 401ks. Yeah. So they're they're actually underestimating their taxes in many cases, and, and we're in a situation where as the economy approve, improves, taxes will probably go up, and some benefits will probably be cut. Gotcha. So I, I would not estimate taxes being cut in half. You do need a very detailed financial plan that you know so you know what your taxes are each and every year in your in your retirement income plan. And uh, the biggest one too, or one of the biggest ones, is healthcare is free. You know, I'll admit. At one point in my life when I was younger, I thought seniors got free health care. Yeah. I thought that's what Medicare was. Yeah. I thought we were given free health care to retirees, but it's not. I still talk to a lot of people that don't realize, or nor do they have a plan. They're retiring at 60. They have no idea what they're going to do from 60 to 65 for health care costs. But even after that, if you, you look at what the average person pays over retirement for their Medicare Part B, yeah. uh, which comes right out of their Social Security check, and by the way, if you make a lot of money, You'll pay twice as much as your neighbor because there's, there's two-year back testing on the income means for, for Medicare. Bitter. Because um, I do make a lot of money. Yeah, kind of a big deal. And, kind of a big deal. And then you – but that's just – you know you still have huge deductibles on Medicare, so you get a supplemental policy. 
and then you have policies that cover prescription costs and then copay. So the average person is still going to pay, you know, five to six hundred bucks a month minimum on average after they're even on Medicare. Through and that cost is going up at five to six percent a year. You know where the rule of thumb came from? No, actually I don't. It was English law where a man was allowed to beat his wife with a stick so long as it wasn't longer or thicker than his thumb. No, the, the stick couldn't be thicker than his thumb. So it wow, he couldn't hit her with a bat, for instance. Um, and the judge basically became known as Judge Thumb, and it was you know. Back in the 1700s, English people had this whole satire thing going on where they'd print newspapers and they'd, you know turn a whimsical thing into hilarity. Mm-hmm. So or a bad rhyme. So you were allowed to hit a woman, a wife, with a stick so long as it was no thicker than your thumb. Did an angry wife find is that a good with a pistol? Is that a good rule? <laughs> no comment. No comment. Just checking. Anything else we need to know? Bad rules of thumb for retirement. Uh, you you'll be okay if you draw four percent or less out of your out of a portfolio that's balanced, you'll be fine. Um, there are situations where if you look at a person that retired in 75 with with that rule, they were fine. But if you reverse the order of the returns in the stock market and the bull market, the bad market came first and the bull market second, yeah. they ran out of money at age 83. So it, you have to have more, a, more of an income strategy than drawing 4% or less out of your portfolio. And the, the other one is you can retire with a million dollars. That's fine if you're 65 and you only want 40000 a year of adjusted income for inflation. It's not much money. A million dollars doesn't get to what it used to. No, not if you're going to – got to figure that you have to have enough to live till you're 100. With that said, that CFP Chad Burton, neither he nor myself endorse hitting a woman ever with stick or without stick. I need to go on record for that, so don't blame your domestic violence. I heard Rob Black say it was okay. I did not say that. You can find Chad Burton at – uh, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Don't forget, we do these wealth preservation retirement seminars all the time. You can find out about the one coming up shortly at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Yeah, going to be doing a big event Thursday evening in Walnut Creek. The 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar. Sign up at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Nuclear power is gaining traction in China. That right there makes me feel a little bit nervous. Government approves first new reactors in more than two years. China's government is breathing life into its nuclear sector with the approval of the country's first new reactors in more than two years. Um, so we have that. Three and CFP, Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. We all know how to accumulate wealth. Well, no, I'm not going to say we all know, but we got the general concept accumulate wealth. When do you start drawing down on your IRA, your individual retirement account? Well, you have to start drawing on it on your IRAs, 401ks, um, even not on Roth IRAs unless you inherit one, but at the age of 70 and a half. So what you actually have to do in retirement prior to your asset allocation planning is do your income and tax planning. Okay. So – 
what happens is you end up with a certain amount of money in taxable accounts that kicks off dividends and interest, and it's going to be a tax issue no matter what you do. Then you have your Social Security and, and or pensions and rental income. So you have to calculate what your taxes are automatically, regardless of whether you take the money or not. Because if you have dividends paid to you on your stock and mutual fund portfolios in your taxable accounts, whether you spend it or not, it's taxable income. So what I like to do is say, okay, how much is my automatic taxable income? How much more can I take out of my IRAs right away once when I retire in order to stay at the existing tax bracket? And in fact, on newfocusfinancial.com, there's a there's kind of a, a short shortened version of the long longer term retirement boot camp that I do that shows people how you allocate things once you've done that tax planning. So what you have to do is change your thinking. A lot of people put off as long as possible taking money out of the IRA, but what you do is say, how much can I take out of this existing bracket? Um, because there's a scenario that I show where you can have well over $100,000 of income and still be in a 15% federal bracket if you do it the right way. So always convert it to a Roth IRA. Um, so 70 and a half is the forced rule, but you want to pre-plan and control your taxes over the long term. And what you do in terms of your income planning and how much you can pull out of your IRAs goes back into your asset allocation. The thing that I like about this is it's really not up for argument, and a lot of people have come up with their own rules, and they make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you want to be – I think you're leaning towards the word efficient. Tax efficient, tax efficient. income planning. It's, it's a really a longer-term view of your tax planning rather than a shorter term. Some people take a short-term view of saying, what's the least amount of taxes I could pay this year and next year, right? Right. And they don't realize that if they do that in the future, they could increase their tax burden drastically instead of trickling the tax burden out over the time, over time. Um, so it's, it's really important to, to do that. And also, you know, it's, it goes back into how you should invest during retirement. And that's where certain assets should be held. For example, in retirement, you typically want a lot of your normal, your corporate bonds, things like that in your retirement accounts, right. kicking off interest, paying you um, right away rather than being deferred. Let's go back in time, though. Let's go back to when you're 20, 30. In your IRAs, do you want Income? Do you want dividend stocks in your IRAs, or do when you you're, want them outside? When you're in 2030, what what you want is growth. Right. You want to be dollar cost averaging into growth areas, so that means large cap, small cap, mid cap in the U.S., but also probably 25 to 30 percent overseas, with at least half of that exposure in emerging markets. So once you get done max, most people can't afford to max their 401k in and then invest outside of that. So all of that goes into your 401k. But when you start maxing out all of your retirement options and you have extra money to save. In your taxable accounts, that should be more of your longer-term, kind of broad, large-cap exposure should be your taxable accounts. And then your small-cap, mid-cap, international, emerging markets, all of that should be held in your retirement accounts because they tend to have more turnover. Uh, when a foreign stock pays a dividend, it's not a qualified dividend necessarily in the U.S. So, again, you, you kind of want that in your retirement accounts. Um, so for younger people, once you are able to save outside your 401k, just you can look at some of the iShares, some of the core iShare ETFs, and buy those for free in, in, in your brokerage account. Back to the retired person taking money out of an IRA and mm -hmm. efficiency doing it. One of the areas that I first learned when I got into the business many years ago was that old people don't like paying taxes. It was a weird statement. that Someone came up to me and I was like, don't do any transaction? That's going to create a tax uh, liability for someone because old people don't like paying taxes. Yep. What do you think about that statement? Well, it's, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of um, still a lot of people that live through the tail end of the Depression that are alive today, and they're very, very wealthy, but they just live off their Social Security, and they literally will not draw on their accounts and increase their lifestyle because of that point they don't want to pay taxes. So sometimes you have to sit down with them and say, look, you've got all this money in an IRA or an annuity or whatever you bought. 
And if you take it out over time, you can control your bracket and be under 15%. If you leave it to your children um, and you leave your IRA to your kids, you leave your annuity to your kids, when they inherit it, they're going to pay taxes at their bracket. They're still working. They're making a high wage. So you can talk to them about how you leave money and show them that your kids are going to pay twice as much in taxes as you are. So if you're that person that is in retirement and you have assets that are growing that you're not using, you're lucky enough to have saved enough to have assets that you're just going to leave your kids, you've got to realize how they're going to be taxed because most people want more money to go to their kids and their charity than to Uncle Sam. Smartest financial planner I know, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online, newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. And again, I've got $100 to give away to anyone who calls the show right now. <clears throat> and you, you have to own a small business. And all you got to do is tell me that you want to change the look of your business, whether it's a website, whether it's business cards, uh, whatever it is. Anyone who calls with a small business, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. There is a new study out by Leg Mason that says they surveyed investors, and the investors came back to them, and we said, we think we need about $2.5 million in retirement to enjoy the quality of life that we have today. The problem is that's about $2.2 million more than the average balance of 385000 those investors actually had in their retirement accounts. $2.5 million. That's what the show's all about, getting into retirement. I'll give away $100 to the first person who calls who owns a small business and basically says, yeah, I kind of want to change things up on my website or my, my business cards. Drop me an email or call the show, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Big seminar Thursday night in Walnut Creek. Sign up at robblack.com. So one of the stories that I'm doing today is you need $2.5 million for a good retirement. You know, you can't feel secure in retirement if you don't have an idea of how much money you're going to need. I think a lot of people just put their heads in the ground and don't think about this. A new Leg Mason survey says that you're going to have to save more than you think. Investors surveyed by the global investment management firm said they'll require about $2.5 million in retirement to enjoy the quality of life that you have today. The average American only has about $385,000, so they're $2.2 million short on that to be confident in retirement. Uh, Fidelity, the nation's largest retirement plan provider, said the average 401k balance is about $91,300. So how serious are you about getting towards retirement? One of the things that people don't really look at in retirement is the cost of health care. Everyone thinks it's free. Oh, no. You need to go talk to someone who's 70-plus uh, years old and find out how much it's going to be. Uh, one study just came out and said, prepare to shell out $220,000 for health care in retirement. It's for that reason that financial advisors you know, have to look at the hard data when they meet with individual investors, uh, retirees who want to you know, quit and you know, cash in the chip, so to speak. So health status affects the financial plans big time. You have to have very comfort, comfortable you know, conversations about longevity and having conversations about you know, what's going to happen and what's going to look like when you do get into um, retirement. A lot of financial planners use an age of 100. Um, you can find a life expectancy calculator based on health and habits by going to livingto100.com, livingto100.com, and start getting into that mindset of how long you should be able to live. 800-516-1220. Now, living a long time in retirement means you're going to have to have income in retirement because a $220,000 health care bill ain't going to pay itself. Big event tomorrow night at the Marriott in Walnut Creek. Income in retirement, you can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. Yeah. 
stretching that team. That's all part of it. That's foreplay. Foreplay is very important in love making. Then you go Business time. So let's bring in the one, the only Dr. Jeff Rosen, chief economist with briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. What do you make of that epic collapse of the euro versus the dollar in recent days? Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, in terms of U.S. performance, it's going to, you know, basically import in some more deflationary pressures. Uh, it's going to want us to buy more European goods. It's going to make things a little cheaper here. Uh, the question is, is it long-lasting or is this just, you know, a short-term money play? That I don't know, but, uh, you know, it definitely seems to be, you know, at least a move, if you look a bit, little bit over the longer term, to be representative of an economy in the U.S. that's improving, uh, going up against, you know, a, a European uh, uh, area that is not experiencing as, as good of economic growth as we are, and, you know, the way, the currency is showing that. Did you see this? This is going to sound like an odd question, and thus making it an odd question. Um, did you see it coming? Because I don't think anyone saw... It's been a pretty epic you know, year, and it's been straight down, but the writing's on the wall there. They're having problems with Greece. They're having problems in the Ukraine. Poland looks like they're coming into a little more power, uh, a little less power for Germany, maybe. It's, should we not be surprised? Because, you know, to fix economic woes these days, think, it seems like bankers want to do know, this. I think that if you asked six months ago, you know, could the euro be at parity with the U.S., you know, people would have said, yeah. I mean, just the way the divergence okay. in economic trends were in the U.S. versus Europe. But the, you know, the change in, in, in currency rates was slow. You know, it was still going, you know, U.S. was still performing well against the euro, but it wasn't performing as well as, you know, many may have expected. I think that what's shocking is the acceleration in, um, you know, in the dollar strength over the last, you know, basically week than, you know, than anything. You know, and I think that's what's pushing it. You know, you have the idea of, uh, you know, the Eurobank, the ECB going out and buying bonds, the quantitative easing started. So we're getting a little bit more push on that end to, you know, it would normally signal weaker currencies, and it's really shot up on the market. Any economic news out there today that you're looking at other than the weaker dollar story? No, I think that's really it. You know, the fact is, you know, it, it's just one more uh, indicator that inflation growth in the U.S. is not going to accelerate anytime soon. You know, we're we keep looking for inflation growth, which would confirm a story of tightening labor markets. It would confirm a story of stronger, you know, real economic gains. You know, but right now we're not seeing that. Instead, we're seeing weak wage gains, which we saw in the Friday employment report. We're seeing uh, more disinflationary pressures based on import prices. So, you know, we're not spending more money on imports, which is we're going to be, you know, having a disinflationary pressure in the CPI. And, you know, all these things are, are pointing towards inflation growth of below 2% target. And at the same time, we're feeling that the economy is strengthening. And, you know, the Fed, you know, you could probably say desperately wants to raise rates. And, you know, these two, 
you know, opposing factors going to make a really big decision, you know, come July, September uh, FOMC meetings. We've recently been hearing media reports that the Fed Reserve has backed themselves into a corner and they're going to have to raise interest rates due to the fact that they said, we're going to look at the data, we're going to look at the data, and the data looks pretty good. You recently penned a piece for briefing.com where you basically called some of the data not that good. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, basically what we're looking at is good is based on, you know, statistical properties and may not be real properties. Uh, for example, we have an unemployment rate right now of 5.5%. You know, on the surface, that's fantastic. If you look at what our full employment level is, you know, basically what we would get uh, given normal ebb and flows of, of structural uh, economic gains and structural uh, problems in the economy, we would expect an unemployment rate of 5.4%. So we're only a tick higher than that. Uh, but is that necessarily true? You know, we have wage gains of only 0.1%. Typically, as we get closer to full employment, wage growth increases at a faster rate because employers have to increase wages in order to attract quality people. There just aren't enough people in the, uh, you know, that are unemployed that would, you know, want jobs. So you'd expect higher wages, and that's not happening. And one of the reasons is, is probably because that unemployment rate, even though it's at 5.5%, is really a biased number, you know, a number that I would call, you know, in the terminology I just used in the, in the report was just bogus. I mean, realistically, the number is low because, you know, several million people left the labor force for economic reasons. Either they couldn't find a job and just stopped looking to find a job. And because those people aren't counted as unemployed, the unemployment rate, you know, is lower than it should be. You know, if we look at what wage gains are on an annual basis, you know, we would expect the unemployment rate to be closer to, you know, 8% than 5.5%. You know, realistically, that would mean that we would need, you know, another 5 million jobs uh, in the current economic environment in order to say that we have a 5.5% unemployment rate. You know, basically, 5 million people aren't working because of, you know, economic reasons based on just these, these little data points. So, you know, the Fed is saying that we're raising rates because, you know, they expect inflation to accelerate. And inflation should accelerate if the employment rate really is 5.5%. But if we believe the, the unemployment rate should be actually be 8%, then the Fed's moving way too fast. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the reason for increasing rates, you know, to slow the economy down, to prevent an acceleration in inflation is just not there. You know, and the, the concern now is... You have disinflationary pressures. We have low oil prices, which are pushing down uh, inflation beyond just energy you know, and transportation and, and, and several other sectors. You have import prices that are declining because the dollar is rallying. So all these are disinflationary pressures. And at the same time, you're going to raise rates, which adds another leg of disinflationary pressures. So where's the inflation going to come from? How are you going to get to 2%? You know, and, and it's interesting. You know, I was reading a report from the, in the New York Times by Justin Wolfers, who used to be a professor at uh, the University of Michigan, and he was basically doing a, a literature review and looking at some options policies where you could buy options on inflation pressures. And right now there is greater odds on the U.S. experiencing deflation than inflation above 2.5%. You know, basically, the market is saying that the uh, that investors who are who are buying into options on inflation-linked uh, securities, you know, have a really high probability of you know deflation. 
and yet the Fed still thinks about increasing rates. And to me, that's just silly. Will, it's interesting that you're talking about this and the slack in the market. Do you think the job market gets back to, I'm not going to say utopian days, but better days where we're not talking about slack in the market and wage uh, inflation growth that we would want to see? Because it seems like maybe the elephant in the room here is, is the economy is not as strong as we want it to be. And how do we get there? That's exactly what it is. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you talk to a different person, you get a different answer. You know, the gist of it is the economic growth that we've experienced since the end of the recession has not been strong enough thus far to bring everybody back that lost their job during the recession, plus take in all of the people that matured into working age population. So, you know, high school students that were in the, uh, you know, that were in high school in the recession, and there's no jobs for them right now. So if you take into account, you know, demographics, and you take into account everything that was lost, we're still not there. So, you know, there's still a lot of room left, and that, that's the looseness, you know, that, that I'm seeing in the wage data. That's the, you know, what I'm scared about if we're going to start believing that rates need to increase. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, just on an example, you look at the mortgage applications numbers, and you see such changes in, I mean, drastic purchasing changes, you know, based on mortgage rates of 3.75 and 4%. Now, these are historic low mortgage rates. Now you're talking, you know, what happens if we bring them to 5%? What kind of housing market are you going to have? What's that going to do to construction if we really start raising rates at these levels? You know, you're going to see a big tightening in the in the economy. And the question is, can the U.S. economy as of today support that? And on the inflation front, definitely not. And the Fed's moving in that in that direction, which is making things, you know, a little nerve-wracking for people like me that are worried about, you know, a potential deflationary episode, you know, a variation of what happened in Sweden, you know, when they started raising rates in 2010. You know, where are they today? In a deflationary environment with negative uh, uh, interest rates. Is that where the U.S. wants to be? And that's the potential that we can be. And that happens if you move too early. Moving too late is okay. It's easy to contain inflation once it's here. It's hard to get rid of inflation if it's not here. That makes it difficult. Thanks very much. Very smart piece, as always. Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, talking about the big problems that our economy has going on, especially tied towards the labor force and wage inflation, which is just not there. It feels... On one hand, like our economy is improving, but is it improving for everyone in our economy? Numbers tell us it's not. He writes a lot of pieces for Briefing.com. He's a very insightful economist. You can find him online at Briefing.com. That's Briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at RobBlack.com. That's RobBlack.com.
types of media is changing pretty aggressively. With the, I would say, inception of the Internet, media companies have been slow to respond. Watch out, because you can see what happened in the music industry. All the money left it. And now artists really literally have to go out on the road to make any money. Um, Cirrus Satellite, their CEO is doing a couple interviews right now about what he's going to do life after Howard Stern. Howard Stern's 61 years old. His contract's over at the end of the year. I think he's got one more year left is the right way of saying that. Will he resign? Will he not resign? It brings up the question of, like, what will they do? They've spent billions of dollars to build up their franchise as best they can. $9 billion they've lost. So the question is, cars are going to start rolling out Internet more and more. With that said, Apple, Tesla, well, at Apple's shareholder yesterday, um, the shareholder meeting, one attendee stood up and said, hey, why don't you buy Tesla? And it, it's a good question because the Tesla is to the car what the iPhone is to cellular phones. So it's not an unfair question. And also, Apple's got just a ton of cash, right? Um, $178 billion in cash. Tesla's market cap is about $24 billion. They could do it easy. They'd have money left over. The problem is that they're very different companies when it comes to price and distribution. Musk says he wants to lower the price of the Tesla's cars to make them more affordable for everyone. That's his purpose. He wants to kill gasoline cars and pollution and the other negative effects that comes with it, whereas Apple tends to pursue higher prices. So the two companies are similar, and they make disruptive technology or d disruptive products, but they're completely different when it comes to pricing and distribution. Cook has said again and again and again he wants to make the best products, not the most products. The iPhone remains a product that costs twice as much as an average Android phone. Apple's willing to give up market share for profits, whereas um, Google's not so much. Google opened a London office. So anyway, I'm going back to distribution and then subscriptions um, for Sears Satellite Radio. They've got about 26, 27 million subscribers, which isn't too shabby. Um, but as cars get the internet, are you going to pay $10, $20 for music a month in your car? That's different than the free stuff you can hear on Pandora, or Apple's going to be introducing $7.99 streaming service in the next two, three months uh, tied towards Beats, and they're going to try to undercut Spotify. Um, it's going to be fun to watch the... Some of these companies won't be in, in business in five, ten years. Um, now, again, top talent does always leave. So they'll be able to survive without Howard Stern, but uh, they're going to lose a lot of subscribers when that happens. You know, David Letterman's going to host his final late show on CBS. CBS will be, well, they'll be surviving. It's not something to cry about. Jon Stewart is going to anchor his final night of The Daily Show on Comedy Central. So it's not uncommon to see top talent eventually leave. Um, and uh, subscription-based model. So it's Cinderella for Disney. They're recycling fairy tales minus the cartoons. It's going to be a big hit for them. They say Kenneth Branagh has directed a really strong movie. Um, some of these remakes for Disney have done pretty well. You know, 
but they also cost a lot of money. This one, Cinderella, is only $95 million. I know, isn't that funny? This movie only cost $95 million to film, whereas Alice cost $200 million, Oz cost $215 million, Malficient $180 million. So uh, Disney's got another hit on their hands. The albatross of student debt, underemployment, and weak wage growth hasn't prevented millennials from accounting for the largest share of home purchases. National Association of Realtors said millennials are those between 18 and 34 years old, accounted for the largest share of home buyers last year at 32%. So the millennials are buying homes at this point in time. The median age of a millennial home buyer was about 29. Income was about $76,900. And they typically bought about 1,700 square foot, costing 1,700 square feet. In the Bay Area, it's going to be a million-dollar home. In the United States, the median is $189,000. So you get a lot more bang for your buck working in other markets other than the Bay Area as far as home costs go. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Michael Jordan leads the highest-paid retired athletes list in 2015. The average salary in the NBA was about $5 million last season. In baseball, about $3.8 million. The average salary. Um, Michael Jordan banking in $100 million, more than any current retired athlete on the planet last year. All tied towards, not all tied, but heavily tied towards his relationship with Nike. Um, knockoff Apple Watches are already going on sale in China. They cost about 80 bucks, and they look unbelievably like the Apple Watch. Um, but that hurts companies like Apple, um, because if people think it is the product and it's not the product, and it only costs 40 to 80 bucks, it's not going to do what Apple's watch is going to do. Maybe people get, say, tarnished like they don't like that. HBO is releasing Game of Thrones across the planet all at the same time. So in France, it'll be on like at 3 in the morning. Why? Because they're trying to cut down on piracy. Game of Thrones is the number one most pirated show in television. Double The Walking Dead. And they're just trying to cut down you know, the time that it takes to get to other markets because that's when people are stealing the service. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Ten pillars of retirement income planning seminar tomorrow night, Walnut Creek. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.